This morning's reading is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the, blind, the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking round. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go to the village. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me all right? Joyce was saying there was a bit of an acoustics problem with me announcements. Joyce, can you hear that? Is that all right? Right, I will try and keep. She told me that what I have to do is hit the back window with my words. So I'm going to attempt to do that all the way through. If it drops, you can, uh, you can stick your hand up and let me know, okay? Um, this morning's sermon is about healing. Um, and that's an enormous topic and one which um, I'm going to um, this morning based on Mark's gospel. And I don't know about you, but it feels really relevant to be talking about healing right at this time. Um, the pandemic feels like it's changed me significantly. Um, it's changed the community and the world around us significantly. Um, and I was talking to someone the other day and just reflecting that I am like tired, just tired. I've been running hard for quite a long time now, and I think other people feel um, the same. Uh, there are lots of people who've been poorly, and there are lots of people who are still poorly. Um, there are lots of people who are suffering from the after effects of the pandemic, grief and loss, um, loneliness, a bit of isolation. Somehow their relationships and friendships aren't quite what they used to be. We've not been able to see loved ones for some extended periods of time. So when I started to think about what it means for Jesus to heal in our community now, that, this was the context that came to mind. And, and Tim, I thought, introduced the issue of, of miracles and the potential of miracles in our community last week brilliantly. And he gave us that, um, that quote by Dane Ortland, which I absolutely love. Um, and he just says that Jesus can't help be, but be drawn to pain and suffering. It's who he is. It's part of his makeup, that that's what he does um, and God has been speaking to me all week about this thought that Jesus heals because it's who he is. He heals because it's who he is. And if we want to begin to understand healing, let alone see it in our midst, we have to really see Jesus for who he truly is. So this sermon is about seeing Jesus. And some of us might be seeing Jesus for the first time. Some of us have known Jesus all our lives and need to see Jesus again for who he truly, really is. So... Jesus heals because it's who he is. And we need to see Jesus for who he truly is for ourselves. So when I, was, um, when I wasn't a Christian, when I was exploring faith, um, and I was asking myself the question, who is Jesus, that people talk about, um, I was um, sharing with a group of people who were Christians who were trying to say to me, look, Jesus is real and you need to get hold of this. Um, and one of those people was Wendy, who's now my wife, and she suggested that I read Mark's gospel. So Mark's gospel, the one we heard from this morning, was the first book of the Bible that I ever read properly. Um, now, Wendy's very clever, and she's also very pragmatic. It's the shortest of the gospels. It's pretty easy to read because it's written in kind of very layman's terms. Um, but 
the thing that it does, and this is why Wendy was so smart, is it just lets Jesus do the talking, doesn't it? Mark just describes what Jesus went about doing, and he allows us to draw inference from, um, from what Jesus did. It literally just presents the stories of Jesus. And so I want to remind us of something we did in this church of the sermon series a couple of years ago around, um, around the big story of the Bible, that in the beginning there was Eden, the Garden of Eden, it was perfect, there was no separation between man and woman and God, that um, there was no pain and no suffering and that was what was created. And I want to remind us of what comes at the end, this prophetic vision of a new heaven and a new earth and in that new heaven there is no pain and no suffering and then to say that we are somewhere and Jesus walked in somewhere in that middle space where there's all sorts of chaos, all sorts of, of, of pain and suffering um, and things that we need to be healed from. But Mark tells us good news, that God's got a plan. Remember we used that phrase that his plan is to, to get his children back. His plan was to send Jesus and for Jesus to become king, living counterculturally, pointing us to the kingdom of God. And that kingdom in Mark's gospel frequently broke in. It frequently broke in and that's when we saw miracles happening. It radically changed those who observed it and experienced it for themselves. And I wonder in this sermon series about miracles, whether that's a definition we could use or think about, certainly reflect on, that miracles happen when God's kingdom breaks into this world that we live in and that we have created. And it just breaks in for a little while. So um, uh, let's focus in on Mark for a second. And the amazing thing I read through from Mark 1 all the way through to Mark 8, where our reading is this morning. And let me tell you what Jesus has already done alongside the disciples since Mark chapter 1. So already... He's driven out impure spirits. He has healed many people. doesn't say how many. He's healed a man with leprosy. He healed the guy who was paralyzed and lowered in through the roof. Um, he healed many people with diseases who touched, pushed forward to touch him. Uh, he calmed a storm. He restored a demon-possessed man. That was the one with the pigs that went out into the pigs. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. He healed a Phoenician woman's daughter. He healed a deaf man, he healed a mute man, he fed another 4,000 people. And that's where we arrive at at this chapter in Mark 8. It's not bad for a few months kind of work, is it? And, and incidentally, um, on my story of, of, of how I find Jesus, it, I got to the feeding of the 5,000. That was as far as I needed to get to in Mark's gospel before I was convinced that Jesus was real. Um, and, and that's a story for another day. Um, but reading through those stories just spoke to me about who Jesus was. So Jesus has been going about Galilee, um, doing amazing things, building up a following and a reputation. And this morning's verse tells a story of someone healed of blindness. But I think there's a context and a wider story, both bef immediately before and after Jesus does this healing of the man who's blind. So immediately before, the beginning part of Mark 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he warns them about Pharisees. He says they're like yeast. And I think what he means in that is that he... Um, that we need to be careful of people when they speak false, false prophecy because it spreads a bit like a poison and you don't know what's happening. And, and the disciples, in one of those brilliant duh moments that disciples have through the Bible at various points, go, what's he talking about yeast for? We've got a loaf of bread. You know, it's like nothing to do with bread, is it, the, the thing he's saying. Um, so, he, so he kind of, he has a go at them back and he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you not see, there's the word see, or understand are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears that fail to hear? 
And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000 people? How many basketfuls of loaves did you bring up then? So like, not only are you, duh, you're also talking about bread and you've just seen me give a load of bread. Um, do you still not see is the question he asks them at the end of, uh, of that passage. And then immediately after he heals the guy from blindness in our passage this morning, um, he asks the disciples, who do people say I am? And the disciples famously reply, some say prophet, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And then he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And this is the same Peter. We can track Peter's story forward, anointed by the Holy Spirit who goes on to heal people for himself. But he hasn't really got a clue what it means to be the Messiah at that point. He has to go through that real journey of, of understanding and seeing who Jesus is for himself. So Jesus is asking two rhetorical questions before and after this, he, this healing of blindness about who, who am I? Who, what do you see when you see me going about Galilee and doing these, um, these things? What does it mean for me to be the Messiah? So let's focus in on, on the chapter this morning. Um, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. And when he'd spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I want to think about that two-stage healing process. It's odd, isn't it? It's really odd. It struck me as really odd when I read it. Because I don't doubt that Jesus could have healed the man in one go. I don't doubt it. You know, the miracles that he's done before and after, you know, there's nothing to suggest that the power of, of God, the Holy Spirit, wouldn't have just restored the man's vision fully, just like that. There's, there's no um, reason to think that. But I think Jesus does it on purpose. And I think it speaks to spiritual sight as well as physical healing. And I think this is one of the things that I've been really encouraged by preparing this talk this morning, is that, that the Bible is so deep, but it speaks on both levels, doesn't it? And in the kingdom, there's no separation between the physical and the spiritual. In Jesus' words, he's always pointing us that, that that sacred and that secular thing are coming together all of the time, that, that the, the physical and the spiritual are one and the same. So it speaks to me about spiritual sight. Um, there's, a, there's a verse in Corinthians, uh, many of you will know it, it's in the passage about love, so we read it, we hear it at most weddings that we go to, and it says, um, now you see in part, but then you will see fully. There's this sense that, that the kingdom of God isn't fully clear to us right now, that we, we get it, and some of us have seen Jesus and we kind of see what's happening. But we still live in this world where we don't fully understand everything that's going on. We're not in that kind of new creation and new heaven and new earth where we see clearly. Our spiritual sight and the man's spiritual sight and the disciple's spiritual sight and Peter's spiritual sight at that time were like the man who was partially healed. They can see a bit of it. They can see men, but they're walking around like trees. And that's the extent to which we can't see clearly everything that Jesus is doing. And it's brilliant because it leaves the potential for more transformation, doesn't it? It leaves the potential for a bigger change to come down the line. So in the second healing, 
Jesus extends what he describes it being like to be healed. And the Greek word he uses is an unusual word. It's not the word that is just used for blindness and restoration of blindness. It's a, it's a word that means restoration entirely, complete change and transformation. So physically he can see, um, and it means restored. So physically he can see, but his whole being has been restored. So perhaps um, as important to Jesus in the man's healing is not just that he can see, but that his full spiritual sight has been recovered too. He could see clearly. In this church, we have um, Sozo ministry, which is a similar thing, isn't it? And the word Sozo means um, it, 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 it's used in the context of saving one's life, literally rescuing somebody. It's, it's used in um, saving one's soul, so spiritual kind of renewal and restoration. It's used in, in restoring one's health, so when somebody is poorly. Um, but again, in that, in that description of Sozo, what Jesus is saying is he wants to make us whole. He wants to make us whole. And I think that gives us some of the explanation why at the end, and this is another odd bit of the verse, and, and, he, and Jesus does this a lot, doesn't he? He heals people and then says, God, don't tell anybody. Don't tell people. Don't go back into the village. And I, don't, I think the reason for that is he doesn't want to be a celebrity magician. He doesn't want people to come up to him and say, oh, look what you did for that fella. Can you do it for me? Because in a way, we can all pray for something that is wrong. I mean, I have a dodgy knee when I go running, but does it really affect my, my day-to-day life? And certainly who, my standing with Christ and who I am in Jesus doesn't affect any of that stuff. So the kind of, he doesn't want people to come to him just for the symptom. He wants people who come to him so that he can restore and make whole their whole life. So don't, don't tell people because I don't want crowds following me just because they want the thing, you know, to see my celebrity and what I can do. Um, I want people to be, to be whole. So that's, that's how I interpret that, um, that passage and in in this turning point in Mark's gospel. Um, but I guess I was left with the thought, well, what does this mean for us now in that context that we're in post-COVID and in this community? Um, and I've, I've settled on, on four things and they all involve us seeing Jesus for who he is. So the first is seeing Jesus as king. So we live in this in-between space. We're still there. The space where God's kingdom is still to come, yet is present here. And occasionally we get glimpses of it. Um, we're a bit like the guy being healed. We only see broad shapes, um, but not everything is clear. And I think there's so much that we can't explain, isn't there, about healing. Um, why are some people healed and some people aren't? I don't know the answer to that. Um, how does healing happen? You know, it seems to happen in lots of different ways. For some people, Jesus clearly says, your faith has made you well. But for others, he, he, he seems to, and he did with the man this morning. It was a friends that brought him. There's no reference to the man's faith at all. He's just healed. But his healing makes him whole. So it's that way round. So, so I think that's an oddity. And, but I think the thing we can do is we can build our understanding and seek Jesus more every day. I think it's okay that now in this world, we don't understand fully. And there are still days when I wrestle with God over specific things that I have asked for and I've not seen. And sometimes I feel really aggrieved by it. I feel an injustice in it, especially when it feels really unfair. You know, there are people, I, you know, we're, we're supporting a couple of people at the moment who, um, who have illnesses that have come from nowhere. They're young people and it just feels, it just feels wrong and unfair. But ultimately, if I accept that Jesus is king, if I can see Jesus as king, then it means that I reach a point of acceptance 
and I can trust in what he's doing. And that, I think, is the key thing, to see Jesus as king and to be able to accept that we don't have all the answers, we only see in part, but that, that he's in control and in charge. So that's the first thing, seeing Jesus as king. The second thing is that Jesus sees all of me. And I think that's really encouraging that he sees a bigger picture when it comes to me. I might pray for my dodgy knee or my dodgy Achilles, but God's not that interested in me. And that's amazing to think that someone's got my back in that kind of way. Um, I've been shaped in different ways by my suffering. Do I wish I hadn't suffered? 100%. When I suffer, do I pray that God relieves me of it? Absolutely, I do. But if I didn't suffer, would I be different to how I am now? Yes. And isn't our suffering part of our journey and part of the thing that we have to go through to learn who God is for us, who Jesus is in our lives? It's almost like um, we, we need some of those shapes to define us and to bring us closer to God. And Jesus sees that. Undoubtedly, it shapes me into who I am. The other thing is I always need healing. I'm not perfect, never, and I never will be, and neither will any of you be. That, that's the point in some ways, that we all need healing. If you think of healing in this spiritual restoration and, and holistic kind of way, we're, we're all, um, we all have challenges, don't we? So God graciously allows my challenges to become apparent over time. He lets me into where I fall short gently and, and allows me to deal with those things. So he sees stuff that I don't see. He sees all of me, doesn't he? And that's really encouraging. And, and as I go deeper with him, then my healing becomes more complete. The third thing, so Je seeing Jesus as king, Jesus sees all of me. Well, Jesus sees all of others too. And I've been having this debate with myself about blindness. Now, bear with me, okay? Um, I could have this debate about any other form of of illness or disability. I'm not blind. I've never been blind. I don't know what it's like to experience not being able to see. I can imagine in Jesus' time in that place, being blind was profoundly disabling. There was none of the assistive, adaptive technology and language and ways of an understanding of blindness that we have now. But I also observe, and I've got a friend whose daughter is uh, has got a degenerative illness who is becoming blind, how debilitating it is to be blind, even in our relatively progressive society that takes a view of, of disability. Do I think if I was blind, I would pray to Jesus that I could see? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would, I think I would want to see a beautiful sunset and a landscape. I'd want to see my children if I had children and I couldn't see them. So I think I think I would pray for healing if I was blind. Does that make the blind person less perfect in God's eyes? Does it make them less of a friend to me? Does it mean their opinions or their person is any less valuable to me? Not at all. And I would never, I don't think I could reconcile myself with a God that said that in some way someone who is disabled isn't as valuable as, as somebody who, who, who isn't. I just don't think theologically that that, that works. In God's kingdom, everyone is valued. Everyone has a place. God loves everyone. I can't devalue those who live with pain, who live with suffering, who live with disabilities, who perhaps have never received healing and passed away. 
aren't our lives surely richer for their presence in it? Doesn't the kingdom of God, by definition, look like a diverse kingdom? It has to look like diversity for me. We want our world to have a range of people and experiences in it. And one thing I took from this thought is that it doesn't look like inequality and injustice. Because I think this gives us a bit of a mandate, this thought. It calls into sharp focus how we as God's people treat people who are going through a difficult time or who are disabled, can't see. My friend who is progressively um, going blind is an inspiration. She's 10 now, but she's learning Braille. She is um, YouTubing her experience. She's educating her friends and her family about what she is going to need as she grows up. She is passionate that we can do better as a community to support people who are blind, and she's going to start telling people about that. I think she's going to go on to do amazing things to change the world for blind people. I really do. And I think her life just has so much potential and value, um, value in it. And I want to go with her on that journey. So I'm not going to walk up to a person who's blind in this church and say, God wants to heal you of your blindness. Because I'm not sure as he does. Because that person who's blind has absolute value in the kingdom. But I might treat them like I would treat anybody else. I might seek to make a friendship with them, understand life from their perspective, go through the journey with them as they struggle, not just with blindness, but with other things in their life, right? And I might be able to, to help someone to understand that God loves them just the same as he loves all of us and that that's an open offer to everyone. Similarly, we might fight the inequality and injustice and go with them to sort of campaign on their behalf and to make the world a better place and to do things positively to change the, um, the experience for them. Why is it so hard to be a blind person in our society now? And how can we make it less so? And that leads me to kind of where I want to finish today, and that's about um, seeing our role. So seeing Jesus as king, Jesus seeing all of us, Jesus seeing all of others, and then finally us seeing our own role in in what we need to do. So I started talking about the context in which we find ourselves in, this um, place of, of, of post-pandemic world and, and Club Moor here in our community and church. Um, and one encouraging thing from Mark's gospel and from Jesus's story and from Peter's story is that they that the same power that they had to heal is open to us now through the Holy Spirit. As Peter increasingly recognized who Jesus was for himself, the more he was able to see what God was doing and to, to utilize that power of the Holy Spirit to, to bring people to, to faith and to heal people for himself. The principle here is, I can only do what I see the Father doing. In the same way, the more we know Jesus, the more we can see what he's doing and the more effective our own ministry becomes. Bill Johnson, um, who I've, I is really good at if you want to read some stuff around um, uh, miracles and healing I would recommend reading some Bill Johnson stuff but he describes it like walking alongside a fast flowing river and trying to keep up and in the end you get to a point where you just think I'm just going to jump in the river and the river carries you and does the things that you need to do yeah so, so jumping in the river getting alongside what God's doing and this might sound and I think to me I was thinking oh I'm tired I, you know, I don't know as I can do this. Can I pray for people and see healing come? 
I'm not sure as I've got that in me. Um, it might sound terrifying and a bit unlikely where we're at now, but you can do two things. You can offer love and acceptance to people and you can model who Jesus is. You can tell them to read Mark's gospel and help them as they encourage, encourage them to find out who Jesus is for themselves. You can help them to see Jesus. And that's got nothing to do with the healing. That's got them to do with seeing Jesus for who he is. And we can find out who Jesus is more for ourselves. I would really encourage you to read Mark's gospel again for yourselves and tune into who Jesus is and how significant it is in this world that people find that restorative healing, that people don't just see in part, but they see fully who God is, who Jesus is, and what the kingdom is like in this community.